You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Gifted with Sheila White. I am excited today because we have with us an individual that shares her gifts with the world, with the community, with everybody that she comes in contact with. I want you, if you guys, to call a friend, tell someone to tune in today because we have with us the one and only Miss Ann Jackson today. And let me tell you a little bit about Miss Jackson. Ann is a physical therapist, university professor, health advocate, citizen scientist, author, and lifelong learner who has spent a career focusing on optimization of the functionality of individuals across the lifespans, no matter what their circumstances are. She also holds a bachelor's of science degree in physical therapy from Georgia State University, a master's of public health from the University of South Carolina, and a doctorate in physical therapy. If there's somebody out there that needs some help in this area, these are the people we want you to call and let them know that we have the answer today. We have somebody that can bring them a wealth of information. Also, Anne is the founder of the Center for Food Equity in Medicine, which is a non-for-profit organization dedicated to addressing the food insecurities among those that are navigating a lifelong altering health condition, such as cancer. We're going to talk a little bit about that and about her story and about her journey in a little bit. Miss Jackson, how are you today? I'm great, Miss White. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No problem. We've got a lot that we want to talk about today. I'm pretty excited because your resume is so extensive. There's so much to talk about, a lot to learn for our listening audience. But I want to start a little bit with your backstory of um, I know that you're a heart centered messenger because of what you do and, and with the heart that you have to do it. So when did you get interested in physical therapy? I've been interested in physical therapy probably since I was a pre-kindergartner. Um, I was initially interested in movement. Um, I had a turtle. I would watch the turtle. I had a friend who had cerebral palsy and I didn't know what it was about movement, but I knew it was something I loved. And then when I got a little older, I became an American Red Cross volunteer, had an opportunity to volunteer at a community hospital and um, did my first day as a candy striper and told the supervisor that passing out newspapers wasn't for me. And I wanted to be where there was a little bit more action. And she took me down to the basement of the hospital. These giant double doors opened out. And there was a man being lifted into a tank. And I thought, whatever this is, this is where I want to be. And what I later found out that the man had been involved in a motorcycle accident, had significant uh, road burns, and they were putting him into what was called a Hubbard tank, which is a giant whirlpool to clean his wounds. But we don't even do that anymore. We That is a, um, an outdated practice for us. But 
that was where my love of movement and physical therapy kind of came together. And I've been in the field ever since. You know, that's interesting. You mentioned that type of technology for that day. You know, there's so many technologies. Every few years, things change and there's different advances and, and different types of therapies. How do you stay current with the different types of uh, therapies and things and the technology? Because like you said, they're not using that particular thing anymore. But what are some changes or things that are going on now that, that we can be aware of? I think the, the, for the public, what I'd like to share about physical therapy and in and, um, our scope of practice is that now you can go to a physical therapist often without a prescription from your doctor. And um, we can do an assessment. We can give uh, some idea of recommendations, uh, do an evaluation is what we would typically call it, and then um, send information back to a physician indicating that the person is appropriate for services. We can do that here in the state of Illinois. Um, And we have wonderful uh, subspecialty groups practice groups within physical therapy. So we have some physical therapists that focus on um, gynecological issues. We have some physical therapists that focus on orthopedic issues. We have some physical therapists that focus on um, pediatric issues. And I think that um, sometimes when people seek physical therapy services, they don't realize that we do have these subspecialties And it really can be very helpful to find a provider that has such credentialing uh, because they've they've taken above and beyond training um, to prepare them. And in general, um, a lot of physical therapists, now there are some that are still generalists, but many physical therapists have some sort of subspecialty that they focus on. Um, I myself am a, um, what's considered a neurological generalist So I am very interested in people with neurological disorders across the lifespan from newborns to uh, people at the end of life Mm -hmm. and um, very interested in their um, their re-engagement and participation at the community level. Now, you you know, you mentioned that, you know, the neurological, you know, um, area, there's so many different sub areas that you can focus in. And I think it's interesting that you can you don't have to actually have to have a doctor's order to see a physical therapist. I thought it had to be written out a prescription and all of that. I didn't know that in Illinois that a person could, um, you know, be recommended for physical therapy through their physical therapist versus a doctor. So how do you set up expectations for your clients if they come in just pretty much from you diagnosing them versus a doctor, so to speak? Well, what happens is we don't necessarily diagnose them. What we try and do, we'll do an evaluation um, often based on symptom presentation. And then we will, um, and it depends so much of this, there's a caveat, right? And so it depends on what the person's insurance is, but usually we can at least get them in the door and at least open the process of some sort of um assessment, some sort of evaluation of whether or not physical therapy services are appropriate. We, oh, okay. we, yes, we do not do like we can't write orders for x-rays or MRIs. We can't do any of that. Okay. But what we can do is based on uh, musculoskeletal information from our assessment, from our evaluation, 
um, how the person uh, describes or presents the condition, we can at least um, create some sort of profile that we can send back to a referring doctor and say, hey, you know, Mr. Jones came, this is what um, his clinical presentation was. These are um, some areas where we saw that there were challenges. Here are some recommendations. And in that recommendation um, might be or will usually be a recommendation for physical therapy services. We do have people that write, right? So we don't, we don't, we don't replace that partnership with the physician. We just allow, there's just an opportunity for people to come and see us and to um, really get an idea of whether or not whatever the condition is they're presenting with is something that is appropriate for us to treat. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll Im immediately send them to the doctor because maybe it's related to high blood pressure. Maybe it's related to a diabetic complication. So there's some cases where we can evaluate and make recommendations. Other cases, we might bump them immediately onto another healthcare specialist. Now, you know, that's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, the different types of symptom, symptom uh, presentations or the clinical presentations that they may have. How do you manage, let's say, a challenging patient? Um, they come in there and you have diagnosed them, you've seen the symptoms of what's going on, and they seem to be a little bit challenging. How do you kind of help, help them, help yourself to help them, so to speak? You know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. sometimes people are upset that they have that condition, they're depressed, there's anxiety, there's so much going on. So when you have these challenges, how do you help them to basically be able to help themselves? Right, so I, I say the first thing again is that the physical therapist doesn't diagnose. We can do an evaluation and, you know, kind of give some recommendations. But typically, um, I think that there's a, um, I used to work with a neuropsychologist who used to say, especially for children, that all children want to be winners. And when oh. children present and they're not, um, and, and they don't have that kind of demeanor, then usually there's something. And with grownups, I often say, because what you'll see written in a chart sometimes is uh, non-compliant. Patient is not compliant. Patient right. is not. And, but what should happen is a clinician, a, a, a committed clinician should be asking why. A committed clinician should be, should be just as you're doing, asking about the backstory. Yeah. Because um, oftentimes, I mean, I think that most people want to be, in a space where they can be safe, where they can be respected. And oftentimes in healthcare, we're thrust into situations where we don't feel validated, we don't feel heard. And as a clinician, I have to be mindful of that all the time. Like how do I maintain a situation and environment in which I am providing person-centered care? Oh. That is really, really, really important. And after you're providing the care and you tell the person, you know, this is the diagnosis, you know, this is what we're going to do. When you explain everything to the client, what if they don't want to follow the treatment that you are suggesting? What do you do in those situations? Well, I, I, one of the things that I did um, that's on my, uh, I don't know if it was on this resume or not, but after I finished my, after I got my doctorate in physical therapy, um, I went back and I did a postdoctoral fellowship in clinical medical ethics. 
Okay. And um, the idea really is that we really respect um, autonomy of person and agency. So if you come to me and I make a recommendation and I um, offer some ideas about how you can deal with your um, poor posture or your neck pain or your hip pain or your um, or maybe your fall risk, maybe you're falling a lot at home, then um, if you're if you have agency, if you're able to make decisions for yourself and mm-hmm. you're competent, then my job is to provide that information. Um, try and understand. But before I provide that information, I've got to understand what's important to you. I've got to understand what your values are. And I've got to understand what you see in your life that's limiting. So if we meet somebody and they, um, let's say that, let's say they've got a a really bad knee and maybe it's a, a a guy who's, who's a postal worker and he um, has a really bad knee, probably needs a, a, a knee replacement but he's been telling his family, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So he comes to therapy because he comes to see a physical therapist because he's got so much knee pain. And, um, you know, we work through, we talk to him. And if I don't spend time understanding and if I'm not a good active listener and I'm not understanding what his values are, what's important to him. So he may say, well, I'm going to retire next month, so I don't need to get this knee replaced. But then he might tell me a story about how he wants to take his grandson fishing and he can't walk down the embankment to get to the shoreline because it's not safe. And so he's been so he's not been able to take his four year old grandson fishing. And that was something his dad did, his father before him. So that's the value that I want to connect with. And so I want to connect with if we can get your knee stronger so that you can prepare for the surgery or so that you can just stand up and be safe moving on an incline, then that's enough. So it it really behooves us again to listen seven times and do one time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's really important because when you think about it, people will say, well, I don't need to do this because I'm going to just be sitting around, but thinking about the quality of life, in those retirement years is really, really very important. And even if you're not retiring, just to have a quality of life to do things with your children, your grandchildren, and and just friends, just enjoying quality of life, I think is important. But that brings me to a point of understanding the different modalities of treatment, because you've got like electrical stimulation, you've got hot and ice packs, you've got all these things. So, so... So how do you, how do you explain? I actually had a therapy before and I'm like, I think I had a meniscus, a torn meniscus. And I'm like, and you're looking around the room and you're seeing all the people actually like a gym, almost doing exercises and all this equipment. And you're wondering, is that going to make a difference? You just don't know because they're doing something different with you. But then, like I said, these, you know, what are the different types of treatments? Because you see so much when you go in there and some people just aren't aware, Um, you know, they don't have those types of treatments at their home. But maybe there's something they can do when until they get to their therapist at the next week or whatever. Like I was saying, a hot or cold pack or or what can they do um, when they're not in um, the room with the therapist? Number one. And then number two, explain some of the different things that are going on in the room. These different modalities that people see and they just kind of think, OK, I'm going to mind my business. But can that help me? <laughs> Those are great questions. So the first question I would say is that bodies are meant to move. 
So I don't care if you're walking, crawling on a, in a wheelchair, if you can't get up and down by yourself, bodies are meant to move. So whatever your ability level is, every body, B-O-D-Y, should be moving. Mm. Um, and when you see people in a therapy gym, um, you know, you have to remember that each person has come into that gym with a unique diagnosis. There's mm. something that is um, that you may have four people that have osteoarthritis of the knee, but they may have different degrees of it. Oh. It may present in different ways. Yeah. And so yeah. we have to tailor programs to the individual. And okay. again, what's so important for people to remember is that if you're receiving physical therapy and you and it's not changing or you feel like it's not um, things are not getting better, then here again, you want to advocate for yourself with the therapist. You want to advocate for yourself with the doctor, because um, sometimes we don't know. We don't we. We come up with a treatment plan. Yeah, but bodies are different. Every body doesn't respond. And sometimes we need to go back and reassess. I mean, a part of our evaluation, coming up with goals, implementing a plan of care, the next step of that is reassessing whether or not we made progress, whether or not we made progress toward any of the goals that we established. And when we don't see that, then we should be thinking, because again, we're providing person-centered care, you know, what am I missing? Should I think about something else? Is there something else that's causing? It's like when you gave the example of the meniscus tear, is yeah. it just a meniscus tear or is there, is there more involvement? Um, mm. Do I, do I tweak my treatment? And if it still doesn't change, then I have to be ethical enough to send you back to your referring physician or on to uh, make a suggestion of some other specialty care because maybe I missed something. Maybe maybe all that is involved in your situation has not yet been revealed. And we, wow. we see that a lot in cases like people who have like fibromyalgia. Mm. They may come in with one particular soft tissue issue. And then a few months later, they're back in your clinic with another soft tissue issue. But that should get a therapist to thinking, well, what's really going on here? Wow. Or sometimes people present with, pains and parts of their body. We treat it. It doesn't go away. And then we find out months later that maybe they have a cancer diagnosis. Oh. So we, we always have to be, we, that reassessment, that assessment coming back, that we answer the question, that we solve the problem. And if we didn't, then again, being comfortable enough as professionals to say, well, I'm, you know, this is what's happening. I want to, I'm going to call your doctor because I'm not seeing the progress I want to see. You know, I, we haven't been able to control the swelling, whatever it is that, that may indicate that, you know, um, that the scope of care may not be large enough to cover whatever the ailment is or whatever the presenting pathology is. That's so interesting, you know, because um, you, you know, bodies are meant to move and you just forget about it when you, people get older and they don't move as much. And it's so important to keep making progress and to keep the body moving. So if, if there's family members or caregivers, how do they encourage 
the person that's going through therapy to keep moving, whether they're a senior citizen or they're just going because usually the work comes in when they're doing the physical therapy. When they get out of there, they're like, I'm not going to do this. They're at home or or somewhere and they're not doing the things that they're supposed to do as homework for that. So how can a caregiver or a person that's a family member encourage them to follow the treatment? Because sometimes I think people can get lazy and they don't want to move. And like you said, bodies are meant to move, but it, sh- it, it, it shrinks down their progress, slows it down of maybe of what they could be doing if they were doing the homework and doing the things that they should do on their own. So how can family members, some suggestions of encouraging people that are going through therapy, um, just, hey, do your work, put the work in. Yeah, so my motto is um, therapy uh, therapy can, uh, let's see, let me see how it goes. It goes, um, therapy can, therapy can happen anywhere, but, um, let's see, therapeutic, uh, we'll have to think about it. But the idea is that you, therapy is important, but it's really about functionality. So if you have a person who, again, um, every moment doesn't have to be therapy, but every moment can be therapeutic. That's, that's my oh. saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, right. So the idea is even if, even if, like you said, you've got, like if if you were my friend and I took you to therapy after your meniscus, you know, with your meniscus tear, you've done your therapy and you're coming out and you're, let's say you're walking on a cane. Well, I might say, well, Hey, why don't we go to lunch? And so I'm going to park a little bit further away. So you've got to practice. And I'm going to say, hey, like, didn't that therapist tell you got to put your heel down? Didn't that therapist say you got to hold your head up? And then you're like, okay. And then you put it into function. So everything that you do, everything that we do as therapists should really come back to something that's functional. Everything is all about function. And that's why I said in my little bio that I'm all about optimization of functionality. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what I do for you in a clinic. And that's why I stopped practicing just in clinics, because I I would see people coming back and they weren't better to your point. And I, I couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. But when I got a chance to go into the field and see how people live, see how people where kids with disabilities go to school, then I gained a better understanding of, you know, what environmental limitations or constrictions there are. So you might have a a great person, a very motivated person, but maybe they live in a space where there's no outdoor environment. So they can't even, so all they can do is walk around their apartment. Or if you want, you know, a child to practice how to get around in their motorized wheelchair, but they can't get the wheelchair in the house. Mm. You know, and the family doesn't have a car that's accessible to put the wheelchair in to take them to a park or to a mall, then their limitations, their environmental limitations. So that's why, like you said about asking me about context, context is so important. And being an active listener is critical to understanding and getting uh, maximum gains for all of us regarding our functionality. No, no, that's so key too, as well, because as we talk about, you know, different therapies and therapeutic things that can be done that makes me think are there wellness or preventative measures that can help along with uh physical therapy for instance you have a let's take the meniscus so to speak um Mm -hmm. some things that can be preventive are is the physical therapy industry open to natural i'll say 
remedies or some things that can help aid in healing uh, the body and healing itself? Or is it just strictly, okay, you, you take this pill and you take this procedure, this electrical stimulation or whatever it is, and, 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 and they're not open? Or would you say they're open? Or just does it depend on the therapist? Yeah, I think that um, I think that we I, I can't you know I certainly can't speak for all therapists, but I will say that one of the things that you're kind of talking about in general, but the concept in a package is um, aging well, and yeah. we are we are very as an organization, as a national organization, as a state organization, we are strong proponents. We are cheerleaders for aging well. Mm -hmm. And because we know that people are living, you know, it, it is not uncommon now for you to know someone who's over 100 years old. I mean, it is it's, it's yeah. still rare, but it's not it, it's not as um, uncommon. So it's not as uncommon as it has been. Yeah. And so yeah. when you think about that, people are healthy and doing well, well into their 90s, even into their 100s. Yeah. So the idea is that physical therapists now, um, we offer things like wellness checks. Uh, people can come um, and many physical therapists have um, small, uh, or they have fee for services where you can come once a year or twice a year for what we kind of consider tune-ups where there's a, a musculoskeletal assessment and maybe you're um, maybe you're learning to play golf. You're getting ready to play golf because we're getting ready, you know, move into golf season. And maybe you've got really tight hamstrings or maybe your swing isn't as um, full as you'd like it. And you feel like there's some tightness in your body. So you might go to a physical therapist, again, explain what's happening. They do an assessment. And then they say, hey, let me give you this soft tissue stretching program to help you. We have all of these other industries that have uh, grown out of that. Like, so now people can go and just be stretched. And oh. sometimes there are athletic trainers that'll do that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people will do dry needling. Um, they'll, you know, so there are lots of complementary therapies that go along with um, supporting the body with healthy aging. But the idea is that bodies that move and bodies that are not over traumatized. So if you're, you know, if you're playing football for 40, 50 years, you're going to traumatize some joints, you know, you're wow. going to, all that pounding is going to have impact. So it's good to think about, you know, just aging well through the decades. That's, I love that. I love that. I just love talking to people like you that are just so excited using their gifting to make a difference in the world. And there's so many things you don't think about um, on a regular basis. Like you said, you just want to age well, be able to move. The body should is meant to move. What of all the people that you've served over the years with in physical therapy, because like I said, you have so many different levels of degrees with physical therapy. What do you enjoy most? What's the most rewarding th thing to you? Um, that you love about your job? Hmm. You know, I think, um, well, that's a big question. And I say that because I've been in practice now, um, I think it's like 35 years I've been a physical therapist. 30, okay. I think it's 35, 36, somewhere in there. But I love it as much today as I loved it the, the first day I um I 
I started, you know, uh, as a kid in that clinic, but then after I became a licensed physical therapist and I think I just, I, I just love people. I mean, I just, wow. I love the, I love the rainbow that we come in. I yeah, love yeah. the, um, I love our story. That's mm-hmm. what I love. I love our stories. And I love that when you take the time to sit with someone and physical therapists are uniquely placed in the healthcare team, because oftentimes like you see your doctor, but you may go to see your doctor and it's a, it's a short visit. It's a 15, 20 minute visit. Yeah. And you might see them, you know, three or four times over the course of caring for this meniscal tear. Yeah. The physical therapist, you're going to go see maybe two or three times a week. You're going to be there an hour and you're going to get to spend some time with them. They're going to spend some time with you. They're going to get to know a little bit about you and vice versa. And so that relationship can really change lives because you may come in with one issue but while you're there, that may open an opportunity for us to talk about, you know, just good general health care, making sure wow. you go for buy, go for your annual checkups or yeah. learning about family histories um, related to, you know, why it's important for you to have a colonoscopy or why it's important. If someone told you, you had a little bit of diabetes, a touch of diabetes, what does that mean? And how do you manage yourself? with that are, are again, you know, um, in communities, especially communities of color, you know, so many things that happen to us happen to us because we get diagnosed. I mean, we learn about them late. Yeah. And, um, so again, just trying to encourage people to take care of their temples and, um, and, and really be respectful of, of themselves, you know, because I think we, um, get a lot of um, influence from outside that tells us, you know, we're resilient people that we can handle stuff. And, and I, and I, I counter that. And I say that, no, we are delicate. We are delicate people because during the pandemic, you know, black and Brown people died at such high rates. And it wasn't, it wasn't because we're super resilient. We're made of Teflon. We're delicate. Mm. We are delicate creatures that live in very delicate balance wow. and our balance can be disturbed, you know, with such small incremental changes because we don't have a lot of what I like to call social undergirthing mm-hmm. that a lot of other communities have. Wow. Wow. And it's so important. And you're right. A lot of black and brown people did uh, have a very difficult time during that that particular time. Um, that we had, you know, when we're talking about balance that can be um, disturbed and things along those lines, um, that brings me to talking about the Center for Food Equality. Ah, they're non for profit. <laughs> now, I know that you work with people that have, you know, different type of illnesses, you know, anyone, no matter what their health status or ability to pay, they have access to high quality food um, where there's a need, then there's then you all actually defeat them. And so yeah. I, I, I know that you're working with people with cancer and things, but one of my questions I want to know is, is the approach to cancer making a difference or is it still cut it out, burn it out, you know, type of type of, um, you know, treatment? Because there's so many different types of cancer and you hear about some people getting better and some people are getting worse and it's, you know, spreading. So 
is 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 the approach still cut it out, burn it out, or is there different type of approaches when you're dealing with uh, people with cancer? Yeah, I, um, so our organization is the Center for Food Equity and Medicine, and and our focus um, is again on bringing nutritionally dense foods to individuals and families navigating healthcare crisis and um, and, and facing hunger or food insecurity. But your general question about cancer, um, I would say just as a healthcare provider and as a person who actually has had a cancer diagnosis myself, um, that um, cancer services, cancer research is constantly changing. And okay. um, and what it's what's really where it's really moving toward is personalized medicine. And personalized medicine really um, addresses or brings to bear doing lots of research on individuals' um, cancer types Mm -hmm. and looking at how that particular cancer type responds to different interventions and treatments and creating clinical pathways that try to address as much information as we can know about the the cellular development, the cellular presentation, the phenotype of the cancer itself. And so you see a lot of, um, especially in larger research centers, they're offering lots of different modalities, lots of different types of interventions that were foreign to us 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and in some cases, even five years ago. So stuff is stuff is constantly changing. Yeah. And um, and and unfortunately, um, it's often the burden of the patient to know in their particular for their particular cancer, what things are happening, you know, and um, and and what what types of interventions our care might be out there that maybe they don't know anything about because maybe they live in Cairo, Illinois, or they live in Princeton, Illinois. And so they're not connected with a major medical center. Uh, And so they, and, and they, and just people, I mean, people don't, that's just not something that everyday people have a, a good understanding of trying to navigate. So trying to stay connected to resources, uh, credible resources that can help you to navigate and explore, you know, what is the best path? Because even when you talk about physical therapy, and now that you talk about cancer, um, we always go back to evidence-based practice. We, we are, that, so that's another one of those catchphrases, but we really are science-driven. And so we try and base what we do as physical therapists, what we do as healthcare providers, no matter what the diagnosis on the best evidence. What what do we know? What have we what have we learned? Not just what have we seen, but what does our research say? And sometimes we don't have a lot of research. Um, and that's why it's important again for clinicians to document things well, to be able to um, engage in research, become citizen scientists, because um, we want to build as large a database as possible of good qualitative information um, about how we proceed in caring for people 
with conditions known, rare, and even some that, you know, maybe they, maybe we don't even know they exist right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're not new to this. You're true to this. You mentioned that you had a health challenge, um, you know, with cancer and things like that um, before. So you've been through that, been there, done that, as they say. Um, <laughs> is there something that you can share about your experience that could help another person once they get that diagnosis? Because a lot of people look at it as a death sentence or look at it as a terminally ill, that life has changed. But you've come through it um, with, with shining colors by the grace of God. And um, what are were some of the personal challenges that you had to go through during that time um, that you can share to help people to be able to overcome something along those lines with those challenges they may be experiencing? Mm. Well, I, I've never had, I've never had anybody ask me that question before. It's, a, it's another great question. You're a great interviewer. Um, I think that um, the first thing I guess I would say is that um, to your point, and, and as we've been talking about this whole time is that yeah. um, information is powerful. Yeah. So whatever you can do to learn about your condition and let's say like you might be in shock. You you might like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe it. But I hope that you'll reach for a friend or a family member and say, you know, I know I'm 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 probably not thinking very clearly right now, but could you help me to find out more? And even mm -hmm. if you say, I don't have anybody in my life who can help me, if you live in the United States of America, you have a library somewhere. Yeah. And so, and librarians are wonderful. They are wonderful community friends. So I always say, go talk to your librarian. And even if, even if you don't have a library in your community, librarians all over the world, all over the United States, you know, they're just, they're warm people. I mean, I just, I love our librarians and our community. So I, I always say, don't feel like you don't ever have a friend in research because you do, because your community librarian is always there. Um, so I think, you know, getting informed, um, trying to take in as much information as you can, because mm -hmm. sometimes just um, getting the diagnosis, again, is such a big shock that you you can only take in information in, in spoonfuls, teaspoons. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever you can take in, take that in. The rest of it, just leave it. it it'll be there. It'll be there. Just mm. take in what you can take in. Um, ask curious questions about, you know, what's going on. And if you're if you feel like you're intimidated because they're doctors and you're not, you can always say, you know, I'm curious. Tell me more. And that's a very non-threatening phrase. And it's usually one that can really open up conversation. So oftentimes I would say, you know, I'm curious, tell me more or tell me more about what you're talking about. I'm not, you know, I'm just curious, tell me more. And that really helped um, to get as much information as I could about um, whatever was happening in the moment. And um, so, so knowledge is power. Um, seeking support, whether it be from friends, family, um, to learn about your condition, to go to doctor's appointments, um, so that again, so there's someone else hearing, because you might only be able to take in a teaspoon of information at a time, and there's there's gallons of information that'll be coming at you. And then thirdly, um, I think um, what I like 
what I what I what I always remind people now is that um, not all people who have cancer, because there you know very few things you can say in absolute, but many people who have had a cancer diagnosis, even after they get through what you publicly see as their cancer journey, um, most of us have some sort of physiological toll that our bodies are still paying every day for the diagnosis. Wow. Um, wow. That's interesting. Can, yeah. You can uh, meet people who've had, um, let's say like women who've had maybe like uh, ovarian cancer or breast cancer, and they may have lymphedema. They may have, you know, limbs that are swollen or tender and, um, and that's, you know, one of the one of the secondary effects of that. You may have people who had, um, you know, cancerous children and they may have issues around infertility or they may have uh, bone issues or, or even a new cancer as a grown up secondarily to having been treated for pediatric cancer. So oftentimes, um, and, and yeah, oftentimes people don't realize that people will have a cancer diagnosis are still living with what we call secondary and tertiary third line complications. And a third line complication or even a secondary complication might be, you know, I was working, you know, 60 hours a week. And since my cancer diagnosis, you know, I'm only able to work 30 hours a week. And then the, the third line complication of that is, you know, um, you know, I've, I've lost my house or I've had to cut back on, uh, you know, my ability to help my kids or whatever, but it, it takes a toll. And, and the three areas that um, we we know that the most research is about uh, in terms of what cancer families are really being pressed on, um, food insecurity or hunger is one, um, secondary to financial toxicity, just the cost of care. So financial toxicity wow. is big. Um, so that impacts your housing, that can impact your transportation, that can impact, um, you know, even you vocationally. And, you know, all those things are are just critical to successful adult existence. Wow. So if you're, you know, yeah. So those, those are big things, transportation, housing, hunger, all associated with financial toxicity, you know, attributed to the cancer diagnosis. And Oftentimes, again, I go back to what I said about people not being these resilient creatures, because often a cancer diagnosis, uh, you know, occurs for someone who's already in a very uh, vulnerable place. Yeah, you know, maybe they live in a great community, or maybe they've been exposed to toxins, or you know, whatever, 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 whatever. But they already are experiencing some inequities. And then this just, like I said, this just disrupts that delicate balance that I mentioned earlier. Wow. You know, it, it's something because, you know, and you you serve on several boards addressing food and social justices and different issues and working as a physical therapist for a number of years. Who motivates you to keep going? Because it sounds so tiring. You're giving, 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 giving. Who gives back to you? Where do you get your inspiration? to keep going because as a heart-centered messenger, everybody needs a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, I, um, I, um, I, I mean, I, 
I don't, I mean, I, I think that I have, um, I mean, I know I have a great family. I have, yeah. I have a, a great husband. I have great kids. Um, and I have great friends. And, um, but I guess when I was growing up, I grew up in a time and a place where, um, service was important. I mean, in my, my family, um, believe that, um, unless the least among us, at least unless the least among us had something, then we all really didn't have anything. Yeah. That's a good um, point. Yeah. So we, you know, so we, um, so I would say that my, my siblings and I are very servant centered people, but we like to have a good time. I mean, we, yeah, we, (laughs) we like to have a good time and, and we do. I mean, we stop and recharge and um, and we we do things that bring us joy. Yeah. You know, yeah. we do things that that give us joy. And um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, it's just important to to um, to to demonstrate that even when life is tough, I mean, it, it's easy to be good when life is good. But yes, the real challenge of a character is, you know, what do you do? when situations are not your best. And that's right. Um, so I think we, you know, we just, we just try and show up every day. I just, I just choose, I choose how I want to show up every day and I choose joy. Like I, even when stuff is really tough and, and we have lots of stuff, tough stuff going on, but mm-hmm. I, I try my best to choose joy every day. And choosing joy. Other people have seen that joy in you because you've received the engineer of solutions to Injustice Award, and and you've also received therapy, you know, the Physical Therapy Image Award. I mean, there's numerous awards that you have won and been recognized for. So others see the joy in you. What are these accomplishments mean to you personally? Because it's one thing for other people to give you accolades, but what does that mean to you in your heart and in your soul? Not much. <laughs> Not much. Not much, not much. I mean, I appreciate it. We, um, we're we actually going to get an award on the 29th of this month. Uh, here's a, I'm going to do a plug. Yes. Um, there's a group, it's called You Matter Too. And they're the organization that uh, puts on the Juneteenth celebration in the Homewood Flossmore area. Okay. Um, and they're having their annual gala on the 29th of April. And we are being recognized as their community partner of the year. Hmm. And um, so we're grateful for that. And um, and we're grateful. But, you know, our reward is really when we when we drop off groceries, when we dropped off groceries last Saturday and, you know, people who are living, trying to get through this, their cancer treatment say, thank you for these blueberries. Thank you for this loaf of bread. I didn't know how I was going to get groceries this week or this hmm. month. You know, and these, you know, and you always bring us good food. That right there, that's all I need right there. That's all I need. That's, I mean, I, I like the other stuff. I appreciate it. And we appreciate it. And we're always looking for, and we we need, right? Like we need grants. Yeah. We need sponsors. We need all of that. We need all of that. And I know the awards help, but our true satisfaction is just knowing that our brothers and sisters who are struggling and trying to, fight for their lives shouldn't have to fight for their food too that's so true so true and and speaking of in joliet there's going to be a pop-up 
coming up, a pop-up for, um, you know, the Center for Food Inequity. Talk a little bit about that. It's going to happen, I know, in the month of June at the yeah. Holiday Inn. So let's kind of share with some people what's going to be happening in the Joliet community with the Food uh, Equity Program. So we are, um, so two years ago, um, you guys have a great person and uh, a man who lives in Joliet. Uh, his name is Paul Dickerson. And, Hello, Paul, um, by the yeah, way. Shout out to Paul. Shout, shout out, out to, Paul. to Paul. Yes. And he is a social worker, um, professionally trained social worker. But um, he had some, he too probably has a much bigger heart of service than I do. And he um, saw what we do, I guess, as an organization a few years ago and said, you know, hey, Ann, could we do this in my community? And um, I said, sure, let's figure it out. So we did. And in 2021, we did a program where we did a what's called a complimentary nutrition station. Mm -hmm. And we served about 10 families who had either uh, someone in the family had a chronic health condition, uh, some were cancer, some were heart disease, uh, many were diabetes, uh, many of the families had a person with diabetes, and um, but they were all facing hunger. Mm. And so we did an event there and each family got approximately like $120 worth of food. They all got a fan. Um, a local Ace Hardware store donated fans. And um, at that time we did, you know, we do things like non-perishable, perishable items. So you think about just walking up and down the aisles of the grocery store. We still, we have things for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. And then our centerpiece and the work that we do is a, um, is a produce stand. So when you see pictures of our work, at the center of most of our activities are these beautiful uh, produce stands because we don't encourage, I mean, we're not saying like everybody has to be a vegetarian or a vegan, but we really want to try and encourage people to have plant-centered diets and right. to really think about that. So um, last year we weren't able to do it. Um, Paul uh, really wanted to do it again this year so he um, got sponsorship from the Holiday Inn, and they have graciously agreed to give us their ballroom for that morning on that Saturday. And uh, it's Saturday, June the 3rd. And um, then we've talked about inviting community partners to come who might have who might be involved in social services that people might not know about. So if we could have somebody to come out and they're going to sign people up for SNAP or maybe they're from the park district and they're going to talk about reduced pro, you know, programs that families can participate in or, okay. or just other services that uh, Paul thinks might be relevant to the family. So we'll be working with um, community agencies, um, hospital systems to identify these families and um, Paul has a GoFundMe um, set up uh, because these funds are specifically for this project. And so we are looking for um, sponsorship. Um, so if there are organizations that, like I said, this Ace Hardware donated uh, fans and we didn't know, you know, if the families were going to take them, but they donated 10 fans and 10 fans left that door. 
Um, you know, but but everything from, uh, you know, grocery stores who might say, hey, we want to be a part of this. We want to donate produce. We want to donate shopping bags. We want to send volunteers to restaurants who say, you know, um, that day I'm willing to make a meal for the recipients. Because what we do in the work that the center does is when there are opportunities to not only provide um, groceries, if we can provide families with a hot meal, oh, um, we also like awesome. to do that. So if there's a restaurant that might say, hey, you know what? I don't mind making, you know, 50 dinners that day so that each family can walk away with two dinners. Uh, because, again, when you're sick, you've got to decide what you're going to wow. do with your energy that yes. day. Yes. Sometimes it's you don't have the energy to cook. You don't have, wow. you know, so if um, so if we have those kinds of opportunities um, then, you know, and, and opportunities or sponsorship like that, we'd love to take advantage of that. Now, we, that, yeah. that's going to be happening in Joliet on June the 3rd, Sunday, Saturday yes. at the Holiday yes. Inn on Holboat Avenue in, in uh, Joliet. And this is, they're going to be serving food, plant-based food. Um, like she mentioned, the, what you really don't think about because when you're sick, you don't feel like cooking or anything like that. And so these are some issues that are facing people with different uh, types of ailments. And the thing about it is it doesn't matter uh, what their health status is or their ability to pay. They will have access to high quality food. As you mentioned, plant, plant-based food, other sponsors that will be donating towards this. We want everyone to, um, to look up uh, Mrs. Ann uh, Jackson's information and to be able to get in contact with her, get in contact with the Center for Food um, Equity how can our audience get in contact with you through a number or through a website to be able to donate or to be involved involved in the pop up on June third um, at the yeah. Holiday Inn in Joliet? So we have so the Center for Food Equity and Medicine is on Facebook. We have um, we have a website. We have an Instagram. Um, so you can reach out to us at any time. Um, we also have. Um, yeah, so you, you can reach out to us that way. And I'm looking around my office because um, I don't always know our office phone number, but our office phone number, um, if you wanted to leave a message, but most people have been reaching out on Facebook. Okay. Um, but we, we, yeah, and that's a great way because we um, we do check Facebook messages and then okay. um, we have an email address. Um, yeah, but the, the, the website, Facebook, will get to us. And then, um, and then again, if someone said, Hey, I want to make a donation, we have a donate button on our, um, on our website. And, okay. um, you know, and if they said, Hey, I want this money just to go to this Joliet event, we, that is fine. If they say, you know, these are unrestricted funds, just use them to do good. Because the other thing that we have coming up in, uh, in May, we are actually starting, we, we've been doing this, but we're really excited about this. On June 17th, we're going to do a pop-up event inside the cancer center at the University of Chicago's Cancer Center. So mm. we're going to bring a, a smaller version of what we do in the community to the hospital inside the cancer center. And um, our goal is going to be to work. Our goal is to serve 200 families. And so there'll be families who are there for cancer treatment, um, 
and there may there probably will be people there that are there for other things because a part of our mantra our philosophy is um, we're an open access program and so if we have it we try not to turn anyone away because we believe that if you come to us you've come because there's a need now i know people will say well you know and that's not always true there's always somebody that's you know they're always trying to um to scam the system or trying to get away and i always say you know that's not my problem If you, mm -hmm. if you come to us, we operate from a place of abundance and belief. And so we believe that you're there because you have a need. And if you're there for any other reason, that's not between you and me. That's between you and somebody else. Right, right. That's so, that's so yeah. key. That is very, very key. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been talking to Ann Jackson, physical therapist extraordinaire. I mean, mm -hmm. I have not seen anybody do it better, explain it better. Give out all this information. Help us to think. Um, she took us a little deep sea diving today to see what it's like to be on that journey where people are going through different health challenges. Um, sometimes they don't have the energy to cook. There's different types of modalities of treatment in physical therapy. Man, we covered a lot. So I want you to get in contact with her. Her information will be on our website as well, which is www.road2eternity.net. You can find her information there. We want you to donate. Remember the June 17th event in Chicago, Illinois. Remember the pop-up event that's going to be going on in Joliet on June 3rd at the Holiday Inn on Hoboat Avenue. It's very important. Anne is the founder of the Center for Food Equity in Medicine, which is a non-for-profit organization dedicated to addressing the food insecurities among those that are navigating a life-altering health condition such as cancer. But the thing about them is, if there is a need, they will feed. And that's what I love about it. They don't question you. No questions asked. No one left behind in this situation and with this organization. So thank you so much, Anne. It's been a joy. It's been a joy speaking with you today, learning what we've learned, um, helping us to understand, see the other side, and just understanding some things that we can do to make ourselves better. Definitely, definitely bodies are meant to move. And that is so, so true. And I'm so glad you're giving us reminders that we can do something about our situation. We don't have to be just stuck in a rut, but that we can recharge, we can re-energize, we can eat plant-based food to give ourselves the energy that we need to feed our minds, our bodies, to be able to be better people. Thank you so much for listening today. This is a person that is sharing her gift, making a difference to the world, to the communities and everybody that she comes in contact with. You've made a difference already. Just sharing this information with me. I'm a better person now because you have more sympathy and empathy when you hear um, things that people are going through and then knowing that people are out there sharing their gifts to make this a better world. You are uniquely designed and, and strategically gifted. Thank you for using your gifts to impact our world. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.